as our children are making their way out, let me just ask you, why don't you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. Uh, If you have your Bibles, grab a Bible. And you know what? It does not matter to me whether you grab a Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, an Android, uh, Kindle, uh, whatever you use to read the Word, uh, why don't you just grab that? And this morning we're just going to walk through uh, Luke chapter 19, a teaching from Jesus. And we're going to talk about this this subject. Uh, As you know, we're in a series called Just Wondering. And we're going to talk about this subject as far as, is hell a real place? Is hell a literal place? Is hell a real place? And, and uh, you know what? I know this isn't a popular topic. Uh, I totally get that. I totally understand that. Um, there's not a lot of preachers even talking about it today. Uh, but when you look at the Word, you find that Jesus talked about this subject over 33 times in Scripture. 167 times from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. This subject is discussed and talked about it. Jesus talked about this subject about 33 times. His ministry was a little bit over three years. That means Jesus was talking about the subject of hell at least once a month, if not more. And I believe that this was a difficult message for Jesus to speak on. Just like this morning, it is a difficult message uh, for me to talk to you about. I doubt there's anybody in this room that would like to change places with me right now. Because it's one of those subjects that just kind of makes everybody tense, right? I've never had anybody tell me yet, hey, why don't you come over to my house and tell me more about hell? Uh, That's just not a subject that just comes up. Uh, People are pushing away from a literal view of hell more and more. Some of our high-profile churches, big-name pastors, health and wealth and prosperity, they're not even addressing this subject any longer. The Bible tells us this, that in the last days, people will move from sound doctrine to teaching that their itching ears want to hear. That God just wants us healthy, wealthy, blessed, doesn't care how I live, doesn't care about any of those issues. In fact, as a recent survey said that of the eight leading seminaries in the U.S., 71% of the students surveyed said they do not believe in a literal heaven or hell. Why is that? You cannot believe in one without the other. You cannot believe in heaven without believing in hell. You cannot believe in hell without believing in heaven. Why? The same Lord taught about both. The same scripture teaches about both. Probably the only joke you're going to get all morning is this, is is I just remember the story about the, the young girl that uh, was engaged, and so she went home, and she told her mom, she said, Mom, says uh, he finally asked me to marry him. And she said, well, let me ask you, is he a believer? Is he a Christian? And she said, yes, he is. But, Mom, I've got a problem. He, he don't believe in hell. Mother says, oh, don't worry about it. Go ahead and marry him. Our family will teach him to believe in hell. <laughs> It'll take one family reunion. He'll be good. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about this issue, and I just got to tell you that, you know, when we discuss this subject, there's a heavy heart and a sense of sadness because it's so real. The world basically has three different views of what happens in the afterlife. 
Let's just run through those just real quickly so that we're kind of all on the same page, and then we'll look at the biblical view. But the, the first thing that the world will tell you, or they believe, is, is universalism. Universalism is basically this, that everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. You're saved. I'm saved. Everybody's saved. Doesn't matter how you believe. Doesn't matter the decisions that you make. Everybody is saved. In fact, is, uh, ultimate reconciliation is what some theologians will call that. Uh, it's the view that, you know what? Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's saved. It, boy, if you carry that out all the way and you just take that analogy and that all the way out, that means that uh, bin Laden will be in heaven. Saddam Hussein will be in heaven. Adolf Hitler, who annihilated Jews, will be in heaven. Oh, the terrorist that flew the plane into the Twin Towers will enter heaven along with the believers in the plane or in the towers. See, Scripture doesn't support universalism. But it's very popular now. And it's very popular to preach because people want to hear teaching that is easy and teaching that satisfies just their their desires in their life. There's another thought, and that's annihilationism. In other words, that some people believe in annihilationism, which that's a lot of what the cults teach and preach, and, and that's basically this, is that when you die, uh, one group goes to heaven, another group will go to hell. Uh, they will stay there for a thousand years or two thousand years or after the rapture or whatever, and then all of a sudden that they're annihilated and they're completely destroyed and they're, they're, they are no more. The problem with that is Scripture, when it speaks of hell, uses terms like it's eternal, it's unquenchable, it's forever. The fact is, Jesus used some very strong Greek words when he was explaining that. There's another one, which is reincarnation. And reincarnation basically teaches, and they believe, that you die, and then you're just reincarnated. And you come back as another person. You come back as another human being. Why? So that you can improve. So that you can work on things that you didn't work out in the previous life. But i got a couple of problems with that. How can you do that if you cannot remember the previous life? How can you remember? How do you know what you have to work on if you cannot remember the previous life? The other thing is this, that the Bible would say in Hebrews that is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. So the Bible does not support any of these views. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. He teaches on this subject. And uh, out of this, we can, we'll pull out the reality of hell, the residence of hell, and then the rescue. And so that's kind of where we're headed. Just a few things about Luke chapter 19 before, or Luke chapter 16 before we turn there. Uh, you just got to understand the context. This is not a parable. Yes, Jesus taught many times with, uh, with a parable, but he did not say it was a parable. Many times, every time Jesus will speak in a parable, he will say this is a parable. He will not give people names. It's a story to illustrate a point. This is not a parable. This is not a simile. In other words, Jesus did not say it is like. Fact is, when you read this story, when you look at this story, you realize that these were actual events. It was taking place, and there was real people. A certain man, uh, there's a certain man, there's Lazarus, and there was Abraham. So Luke chapter 16, verse 19, 
as we just start reading, and we, we're going to look at, the, at just the reality of hell from Jesus' teachings. I would also tell you this. Don't forget that just in context, this is before the resurrection of Christ. Why is that important? That is important because of this. Because prior to the resurrection of Christ, the Old Testament saints and those who weren't following God went to a place of waiting. And there's a great chasm in between the two. The two compartments, if you will. And then after the resurrection of Christ, those were who were in Hades, those were who were in hell, were cast away into utter darkness. And so it's a look to the future. And so this is before the resurrection of Christ. That's why you see conversations. That's why you see dialogue. Because Scripture says after the resurrection of Christ, it'll be a place of darkness, it'll be a place of loneliness, it'll be a place of isolation. And we'll look at this more next week. But today, we're going to start out by looking at the reality of hell, the residence of hell, and then the rescue. So here's what the scripture says in verse 19, Luke chapter 16. There was a, he was a real person, there was a rich man. Fact is, when Jesus taught this, everybody that he was teaching to knew who these people were. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and who, who feasted sumptuously every day. And his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. He's a real name. He was a real person. Jesus is now speaking in very, very specifics about events that are taking place. And Lazarus was covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to, real name, real person, Abraham's side. That was an Old Testament term for, for Abraham, but it was also an Old Testament ter- term for heaven uh, by Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham, again, a real person, far off and at Lazarus' side. When you look at just this one teaching of Jesus, that I believe it just ends the debate. There's a literal place. It's a real place. There are real events taking, taking place. We can also gain some insight out of, out of what is going on there, that hell is a place of torment. Three different times, and actually the Greek word for torment is, is transliterated out into the English language, whether it's anguish or where it's, whether it's torment, and he uses the same Greek word, but it's transliterated out three different ways in the English, or two different ways. Uh, verse 24, he used the term anguish. Verse 25, he uses the term anguish. And in verse 28, he uses the word torment. This is a very spe- specific Greek word that if you pull up a Greek dictionary, it's a lot like our English dictionary, to where if you pull it up, you will find that it has you know, one meaning or two meanings or three meanings, just like the English, the English language. There's three different meanings to this word that Jesus used for anguish or for torment. And the first one is this, acute pain from a debilitating disease. In other words, it was a word that was used, the most painful ailment, disease that a person could have. It was acute pain. Definition number two for this Greek word was a rack of torture. It was a picture of that rack of torture that they would use in their day to where they would tie their ankles and their wrists and they would stretch them across uh, a device with, with spikes and nails and they would slowly turn them and stretch their bodies over until the nails pierced their flesh, then their organs, and they died slowly. 
The third definition for this word that Jesus used was intense heat that would melt metal. When we just look at the descriptions, 32 times Jesus uses the word flames to describe hell and the pain. Here's Mark chapter 9, verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to, to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Matthew 3.12, his winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Matthew 25.30, and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In our culture, we think we know what that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, means. We have no clue. When Jesus used that term, the Jews understood very graphically what he was communicating to them. And we'll understand that as we keep walking through this passage. But hell, from this passage, is also a place of helplessness. Let's just keep reading verse 24. And so he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and, and just cool my tongue. For I'm in anguish. There's that word again. Torment. Anguish. In this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you, you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. You see, hell is a place of helplessness. This, this man, this rich man, he could see his condition but not change it. We still have hope, right? We can still hope things will get better. We can hope that things will turn around. We can be in pain and we can hope and we can pray and we can think that, you know what, one day in hell, you can feel your pain, you can see your pain, you can understand your condition, but you cannot change it. See, this man could feel pain, feel his pain, but not relieve it. I told you, it's a tough message. It is tough to preach. It is tough to hear. He could feel his pain. He couldn't relieve it. Can you imagine how small or minute this man's vision was? He didn't ask for a glass of water. He didn't ask for a bucket of water. 
He didn't ask for a shower. He didn't even ask for a drop of water. Just have Lazarus. Dip his finger in some water. And whatever is still on his finger when it touches my tongue will relieve some of my pain. Can you imagine being in that much pain? To where that little water would bring you some relief? In hell, you can express compassion, but you cannot deliver it. Verse 27, and so he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. This may have been the first time this man cared about the spiritual condition of his family and his friends and his brothers. There are going to be people in hell that that will be the first time they've ever really cared about the spiritual condition of their family, of their friends, of their loved ones, of their children. People are going to have this thought in hell. I hope my wife never comes here. I hope my husband doesn't come here. I hope my children don't come here. I hope my friends don't come here. Hell is the place where some people will, for the first time in their life, have any spiritual desires or any spiritual concerns about their loved ones. And they may have this thought. You know what? I worked with Jim. I knew Jim. Jim and I were close. We did everything. I bet... I knew he went to church. I knew he had different... You know what? Jim will tell him. Jim will tell him. Jim will tell him. No. Jim didn't even care to tell me. Jim and I, we did everything together. We hunted together. We fished together. We played golf together. We did sports together. We hung out together at places. We, we told jokes together. We helped, people, we helped each other solve problems in our life, relational problems, problems about marriage. We talked about our kids. We, we talked about issues of life. I mean, we, we sat around. Jim and I sat around, and we solved life problems together. And I knew there was something different about Jim. I mean, I knew Jim went to church. I knew that Jim had different values than me. Jim won't tell my kids. Jim won't tell my wife. Jim won't tell my family. Jim didn't tell me. Why didn't Jim tell me? Jim knew. Why didn't Jim? I thought Jim loved me. I thought he cared for me. In hell. For the first time, people will care of the spiritual condition of friends, family, and loved ones. Let's just carry on with this story. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have preachers and scripture. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And so he said to him, 
If they do not hear Moses and if they don't hear the prophets, the word, neither, neither will they be convinced, watch this, if someone rises from the dead. This is a future look. Who rose from the dead? Jesus Christ. He says, you know what? If they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets, the word, they're, prob- they're not even going to believe if someone rises from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead and men and women still reject him. See, the question for me and the question for you is not how can a loving God send someone to hell? We'll look at that next week. But the real question is this. How can men and women reject him after all he's done for them? If universalism is true, then the cross was a waste. If everybody goes to heaven, everybody's saved, then the cross is a waste. Why did Jesus Christ have to die if everybody's going to make it anyway. In hell, hopelessness flows like a river. And people will say, I have been here ten thousand centuries and I am not one second closer of getting out thirty three times Jesus talked about hell and he used very graphic specific words in the Greek and in their culture to explain it the residents of hell There are those with a reservation. There are those without a reservation. And so, uh, watch this. Jesus is talking, Matthew 25, 41. Man, this is so important because Jesus gives us a glimpse into something that is just so critical. Um, Then he will say to those who are on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. So we've learned, right, that's hell. Now watch this. Into the eternal fire prepared for devil, the devil and his angels. Write in your Bible, hell was not created for you. Jesus says, you want to know who hell was created for? Hell was not created for people. Hell was not a place prepared for people. You want to know who hell was prepared for? Hell was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels. Satan and his demons. Isaiah chapter 5, we don't have time to go into it and look at it. It gives us a glimpse that when people begin rebelling against God and they were deceived by Satan and they begin that whole rebellion, that hell had to be expanded. Hell was not prepared for people. But here's the good news this morning. Heaven was. And heaven is. Hell is not prepared for people. But heaven is. John chapter 14, Jesus Christ said, you know what? I must go away. Why? I must go away to prepare a place for you. For in my Father's house are many mansions. I go there. Heaven was prepared for people. And there are people with a reservation, Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them, people, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented 
day and night for how long? Forever. They're not annihilated. For eternity. Forever and ever. But there are those without a reservation. And so we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago about the Lamb's book of life, that what happens when we accept him. Revelation twenty fifteen. And if anyone's name was not found written in what? The book of life, the Lamb's book of life. He was thrown in the lake of fire. The scripture teaches that when we accept him, when we enter into a relationship with him and we understand that he's a triune God and the deity of Christ and he came and gave his life for us for the forgiveness of our sins and we enter not only into a relationship with him but a walk with him that transforms and changes our life to where we don't live life based upon the values of this world or our own arrogancy. Our name, you get this right? Our name goes in the Lamb's book of life. Other places in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, then the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will, watch this, I will never, I will never blot out his name from the Lamb's book of life. And I will confess his names before my Father and before his angels. Revelation twenty twelve. and I saw the, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what? What they had done. We, we talked about this. See, those without Christ are judged for their works. Those with Christ, those in heaven, are what? Are rewarded for our works. We're rewarded for what we have done. We are rewarded that we have sent our treasures to heaven, and we are built up treasures in heaven and not on earth where moth, moth, and, moth and rust destroy Revelation 21, 27. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are what? Are written in the Lamb's book of life. That we are not perfect. And we can have great freedom in saying we are not perfect, but we are forgiven. And that we have the, re- the, the righteousness of Christ, which clothes us in his righteousness and his perfection. It's not that we've lived a perfect life. Is that we have his righteousness. Luke chapter 10 verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. I mean, in other words, don't, don't rejoice about the temporal stuff. Here's what you rejoice in. But rejoice that what? That your names are written in the book, uh, written in heaven, the book of life. In other words, that you know what? We'll spend eternity with him. Forever and ever and ever, we will be with him. We have the reality of hell. We have the residents of hell. Those who have rebelled, those who have rejected Christ, those that do not have forgiveness. But he's provided a, a rescue. He's provided a rescue from hell. You see, Jesus, uh, there's only one time that Jesus, when he was describing hell, did not use the Greek word Gehenna. And maybe some of you have heard that word, but uh, it means a lot more to the Jews than it does to us and in their culture. And Jesus would use a term, and he'd say Gehenna, and he'd use a term weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, 
We don't get what weeping and gnashing of teeth means because in our culture, that's, that's like what we do, right? When, when we miss a four-foot putt and we go, I can't believe I missed that. Or, or we get stuck at a red light and we kind of grit our teeth and go, oh, I'm going to be late. Or we burn some cookies, we burn a cake, or, or something doesn't go our way, or our show didn't tape, or our football team lost, or whatever. We just kind of go, and that's kind of what we think this weeping and gnashing of teeth is. Well, that's out of our culture. See, you and I, we got to be careful that we don't lift Scripture out of the culture in which it was written in and then pull the principles into our culture. Tell you what it meant to the Jews. It stopped them in their tracks. If you've ever gone to Israel, you know this, that the old city of Jerusalem sits, and on one side is the, the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley separates the Garden of Gethsemane uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, the Mount of Olives is there. Uh, it's a path that Jesus took quite often. It's, it's lush. It's green. I mean, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place. fact is, when you see pictures uh, from uh, the Holy Land, uh, they will take it from across the Kidron Valley. Well, Jerusalem is in between two valleys, the Kidron Valley and the Valley of Hinnom. Now, the Greek word for the Valley of Hinnom, or the Greek word for Hinnom, is Gehenna. If you go to Israel now, they won't even take you to that side of Jerusalem. It's a dump. And it is still, it was a dump in their day, and it is still a dump in, 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 in our day. The Valley of Gehenna was a place to where they'd take the trash out of the city, they would pile it up there, and they would burn it. It was a continual fire. When, when he said Gehenna, the image in their mind was a dump in a continual flame. When poor people could not afford a funeral, the government would take their bodies and take them to the valley of Gehenna and burn their bodies. It was a place to where you not only smelled burning trash, but you smelled burning flesh. During the exiles, when the Chaldeans and the Babylonians inhabited that area and the Jews were out, and this is what just rocked them. The Chaldeans and the Babylonians, part of their worship was to sacrifice children to their pagan god. And they built a big fire where? In the valley of Gehenna. And part of their worship, I told you, tough message. It's a tough message to preach. It's a tough message to hear. So the parents would take their children and they would drive them into the flames and they would drive them into the fire. And many times they would use whips to push their children into the fire, to sacrifice them. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is not the gritting of teeth, is not the frustration that we missed a red light or missed a putt or our football team lost. The weeping and gnashing of teeth is the sound that their children would make going into the flames and screaming for their life, their pain, 
When Jesus says Gehenna and weeping and gnashing of teeth, it stopped the Jew in their track. Because they knew. They got it. The reason that Jesus talked on this so much, I believe it was a hard message for him as well when you just kind of look at the context. is that he didn't want anyone to go to Gehenna. And that's why he came, got in flesh, he left heaven, he wasn't created, he was God, he still is God, he went to the cross, He took on our sin so that we could have a rescue. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, something that you have to accept, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said this, said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me I'm the only perfect sacrifice I'm the only one that lived a perfect life I'm the only one that could substitute for them for their punishment John 3.16 says for God so loved the world watch this not the believers for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He already chose you. You realize that, right? He already chose you. That whoever believes in him, the choice is yours. He's already chosen you. The choice, do you accept him as your substitute? Do you choose him that he is God that he is deity and he went to the cross on your behalf for the forgiveness of your sins some of you here this morning you know where you stand with him and you may not consider yourself a believer or a Christian you may think he was a good teacher you know, a great guy but you've never submitted yourself to him. Today is a day. You just accept him and ask him to come into your life. He is God. He is deity for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you this morning, the real reason you don't tell your friends about Christ because basically you believe in universalism. They'll all end up there. All good people go to heaven, except for the people we think that are really bad. So we admit that we've got to draw a moral line, but we just want to be the one that draws the moral line. That's why Joseph told his brothers, am I in the place of God? Do you realize you put yourself in God's place 
when you decide the moral absolutes, when you decide the moral line, when you decide who gets to go, who doesn't, good people get to go, and oh, and I decide, I happen to be one of the good people, and, and then I decide who doesn't, who does. This morning, don't put yourself in the place of God. Maybe there's some people that you need to talk with. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you this morning. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? And what what decision does God want you to make? And please get real with me this morning. Don't play church. Don't play religion. Have you ever come to the place to you accepted him that he is God? And ask him for the forgiveness of your sins, assurance of salvation so that you know that you'll go there. Maybe for some of you this has been a tough message because you've got family, you've got friends that don't know him. Maybe you need to be concerned about their spiritual destiny and have some conversations with them and pray for them. Just a few minutes, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand. And I'm just going to ask that there'd be no barriers in this room. Those of you that need to make a spiritual decision, when we stand, would you just stand up, step out, come out down these aisles? We have prayer partners down here that would love to talk with you, would love to pray for you, ask any of you, answer any of your spiritual questions. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church, how much religious junk you've done. What matters is, is do you have a relationship with him?